Bethlehem Hospital is the oldest mental institution in the world. In the heat of the weather, wrote one commenter in 1734, a bathing place to cool and wash them in is a great service of curing their lunacy. Then, without asking any questions, he told his mother, choose your apothecary and I will prescribe. According to his prescription, they, the next day, bloody him largely, confined him to a dark room, and put a strong blister on each of his arms. His appointment was to mark the start of bleak era in the history of Bethlehem, which would see its medical practices questioned and its name repeatedly dragged through the mud. I bled her plentifully in the cephalic vein, wrote Dr. Oxenbridge on the arms and both feet, in the forehead, under the tongue, and by leeches to the hemorrhoid vein, and made her drink much cider made fresh in the house. In the heat of the weather, Bethlehem Hospital is the oldest mental institution. Then, without asking any questions, his I appointment her was to mark the start of Bethlehem era in the history of Bethlehem, which would see as medical practices questioned. This is Beth's name, but he is dragged through the mud. Furthermore, this is James I of Bethlehem, born of Rose, to hold the post in Bethlehem. This is Bethlehem. He's talking and I'm not, and I'm just. <laughs> and then I'm talking. <laughs> no, but wait, wait! I have something for him. Boom! You get shot down. Now you just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales Podcast. Concentrate on the news. That's what we do. Wow. <laughs> FY does not. Do I don't miss the minute mark, bruh. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Weird History Eerie Tales podcast. I am your host, Moses Sorry, and with me as always, to my left is my brother Josh. Yo! And sitting directly in front of me is Achi. That was a gnarly-ass crack. I hope we can hear that. Well, speaking of, I can't hear shit because I don't have my headphones here today. Someone was unprepared today, or someone swapped backpacks. That's what, that's what I get for using that backpack to go to Six Flags. You know, but like I mentioned last episode, these guys were eventually going to come back, and they did. Oh, so it's good finally not talking to myself again? Yeah, she got busy. Oh, so for this episode, like I mentioned in the previous episode, we're going to be talking about Bethlehem Royal Hospital, which is a topic, which which is one of our most listened topics when we mentioned it, the Insane Asylum, Insane Asylum episode. That was a fun episode to do. Which is I episode two. It was, it was. Which is episode two. That's one of our most listened right behind Atlantis for whatever fucking reason. And then, so we decided, fuck it, let's go revisit it and go more into death. Death about the Bethlehem more Royal Hospital. More death. death. Well, well, we are. We are going to talk about death. Bethlehem Royal Hospital. Since its creation in the mid-1200s, the facility was always understaffed and overcrowded, like a trait that many mental hospitals already have. So then what do they do with patients when they are overcrowded? They lock them up. They keep them restrained and often forgotten by the hospital staff also known in this case as the keepers. There has been an account that a patient was left unchained and forgotten for so long that their intestines actually ruptured. Ew! Grossness all over. 
So think of a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> Over the years. With the very, last feet. With the last feet. With, yeah. With the last feet. I know. He has that weird fetish. Over the years, Don't variations know. of this sort of torture and utter neglect were used on patients as the years progressed. And so did the, the severity of the methods. Patients would often be chained, handcuffed to beds, walls, and almost all were left naked with the only thing keeping them warm were hospital gowns if they were not already soiled by the patient and, of course, straw patches. Bethlehem, for those of you that do not know, it's it was one. What do you guys do you guys know if it's the first mental hospital? I was looking it up, and I think it's the world's first mental hospital. But they they don't they don't say that they don't they never say the first. Well, no, no one's ever gonna say the first, but yeah. No one wants to say the first. But the the interesting and the and fucking sad part about Bethlehem was is that it moved four different times, and each time it moved, it moved so it could better itself. But more often than not, it just reverted back to its old ways, and it's the first site was at Bishop Gates, which is the Bethlehem Hospital. And uh, th- that was the site of the first hospital from 1247 to 1667. So the building, it was, it was centered around a courtyard with a chapel in the middle. It had 12 cells for patients, staff accommodation, and a small exercise yard. The building covered just a little over two acres and was built over a sewer, which served the hospital and the immediate buildings around it. Dude, this sewer was so shitty. And it was it was shitty and Hold falling on, they apart. They had a sewer at that time. Yeah, well, it was London, so it was yeah. But dude, the sewer was so shitty, and it was falling apart so much so that it would get backed up a lot and frequently, to the point that it would overflow and rinse up into the main entrance. Right. So the building was gradually, slowly, it was gradually expanded throughout the years, and by 1667, it was able to accommodate 59 patients so for the first hundred years bethlehem was actually owned by the church and was actually dedicated to taking care of the poor people of london slowly but surely the monks taking care of bethlehem began taking in the mad folk of the city those were the people who had no family or friends to to take care of them so while many patients were mentally ill and had conditions which we now know as paranoid schizophrenia and manic depression other suffered conditions, conditions such as epilepsy, anxiety, and learning disabilities. Despite the clear differences in symptoms, the patients were mixed together and all given the same course of treatment, although some patients required more treatment than others. So the monks who were taking care of these people were actually beating them and punishing them daily. Let if, the power of Christ compel you. Ka-cha! And if that weren't bad enough, the patients were fed these shitty vegetable-free diets. Wait, well, hold up. Vegetable free? Well, why, you ask? Well, to make sure that the evil spirit illnesses inside them would not be fed. That's a fucked up way of thinking. So, inventories found dating back to this period, it shows manacles, chains, locks, and it was believed that shock, punishment, and isolation were the ultimate cure for madness and would help the patient come to its senses. senses. Edward III took control of the hospital in 1370 and replaced the monks in charge with the crown appointees. These people, the newly appointed caretakers of Bethlehem, were known as, I got you mentioned them, the keepers. keepers of the and an overwhelming majority of these keepers 
They had no experience taking care of the mentally disabled, let alone a whole fucking hospital. So the reputation of the hospital was nosediving fast, and rumors of neglect and embezzlement began to reach the general public. And in 1403, the hospital treasurer, Peter Taverner, was found guilty of embezzlement and theft of hospital property, proving the rumors true that the institution was corrupt from within. So the hospital changed hands once again in 1546 when the mayor of London, Sir John Gresham, petitioned to have Bethlehem granted to the city. The crown ultimately declared that they will still keep the hospital, but the city of London would be in charge of its administration. So basically, the prince and the king were like, all right, look, it's our hospital. We get it. We're not doing a good job, so we're going to give it to you guys to manage it. But it's still our hospital. So the running of the hospital was passed to the governors of Bridewell, and they appointed keepers to take charge of the mad folk. So Roland Stafford resigned from his role of keeper in 1598 after his two-decade reign over the hospital. After his leave, the governors of Bridewell performed an inspection of Bethlehem to ensure it was ready you know, for public visiting. And Achi will touch upon that a little later. And during this inspection, they soon realized that it was in a serious state of disrepair. This is one quote. It is not fit for any man to dwell in which was left by the keeper, for that it is so loathsomely, loathos, loathsomely, loathsomely, filthily kept that it is not fit for any man to come into the sad house. You know, so during this inspection, the governors wanted to see what kind of you know shape the hospital was in, and they found it in fucking horrible shape, with the inmates in even worse conditions. Now my brother's gonna touch upon a little later. They got an F, bro. They found twenty-one resident inmates. The majority of them had been locked up for over eight years. Remember, this wasn't supposed to be a prison. This was supposed to be an answer for helping the poor people of London by taking care, not imprisoning. They're mentally disabled. Surprise, motherfucker. One inmate had been there for over 20 fucking years and was in dire need of medical attention. It's crazy, dude. 20 fucking years. It's like, oh, shit, we forgot Bob in the back of the cell. It's like Macho Man. You ain't going nowhere. Thankfully for the governors, help was brought in to fix the hospital to ensure it was well run. And it's patients cared for. Unfortunately, the help, which went by the name of Helkia Crook, was a piece of shit too. And was no different than the previous regime. As he too embezzled and stole not only from the hospital, but from the fucking patients too. Wait, wait, wait. He stole from the patients? His, name, his last name is Crook? Yep. And he was a fucking crook. He was a crook. Huh. How did he not see this coming? Huh. Right? How did Look, not see this, this is the kind of piece of shit he was. Goods and supplies were sent to Bethlehem as charitable donations, like food packages, clothing, and bedding. As terrible donations? Charitable. Oh, I think it's terrible. How's that terrible? Charitable donations. This is garbage. Right? <laughs> Take it back. Here's some shitty charity. The piece of shit crook, not only did he steal a bunch of shit for himself, but a lot of the things he didn't want, he sold Back to the patients. And if that wasn't bad enough, 
those who had no resources to buy or trade from him were left to starve. Oh, you need some insulin? Hmm. Empty your pocket, son. So the dude was stealing from the hospital and stealing from the people and the shit he didn't want. He's like, all right, well, I'll trade you. What do you have? Nothing? Oh, well, next. Bethlehem Royal Hospital and its famous yet notable patients. Now, without this, um, throughout this era, Moses talking about, there's one legendary uh, or notable patient known as Mary Frith, also known as Mole Cutpurse. Now, she was known for her skilled set of stealing. Frith was in and out of prison, and she was burnt on the hands four different times. Now, I guess this was a punishment for thieves. To burn their hands? Yeah, to burn their hands. So I guess that's where the saying, uh, you were caught red-handed. Oh! Uh, just kidding. I hey. my ass. Maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. Oh, I mean, no, but I got your stupid ass. So. No, I'm shook, bro. <laughs> yep. But check this out. All right. She was not just only a thief. She was also a pimp and a go-between. What's a go-between? Exactly. I mean, what the fuck is a go-between? Yeah, what the what fuck is a go-between? A go-between is someone who finds young women to be mistresses and men to be lovers for married women. So she that. had a side piece business aside from being a pimp? Yep. Why the, fuck was, she, a fucking thief? Why the fuck was she stealing then? She was- According to the records of Bethlehem Royal Hospital, she was released in 1644 after having recovered from insanity. Unfortunately, it is unclear when and why she was committed to this institute, but rumors have it that this was caused by her nonconformism, and Frith died on July 26, 1659. Now, backtracking to the nonconformism, it said that because she was what you call nowadays a tomboy, mm. but that's the reason why people assume she went to the insane asylum. Just because she, she didn't want to put on a bra. She's like, now nah, I'd rather put on these mm-hmm. pants. Oh, this is she looked more as a dude than an actual chick. So Wait, I guess that's, pictures? Huh? Yeah. Or drawings and stuff like that. Yeah, there's drawings. There's Portraits no, and all that. Yeah, there's no mm-hmm. fucking polar, Polaroids. There's a Polaroids. That's also From the fucking 1300s? Oh, no, never mind. That's 16. Oh, shit. Hey, is that right. corrected, bro? You got <laughs> caught red-handed. Anyway. Pull up those hands. Thankfully, Crook's career ended when King James I died. The new monarch, Charles I, demanded an inspection of the hospital in 1631. And after findings that most patients were likely to starve, an investigation was launched. Crook and a steward were both fired in 1633 after they were found guilty of embezzlement, neglect, and theft. Crook was the final keeper ever hired in Bethlehem as the new system was brought in. And this new system, you know, it was actually a success. Now, instead of one guy and his staff running the place, they came and split the duties to three regimes. A physician, a visiting surgeon, and a pharmacist. So the new system improved the shit out of Bethlehem. So much so that by 1664, due to the overcrowding, the governors decided that a new hospital must be built. And the first of three relocations had begun, starting with the Moorfields Bethlehem Hospital, which is its second location. From 1667 till 1815. Unlike the first building, this building was the shit. 
It was the worst of the worst. No, it was no, it was the shit. It, it looked dope. It oh, was wait, what? It was it was the shit. It looked amazing. It was lavishly designed, so much so that the people of London labeled it the Palace for Lunatics. It was so fucking amazing. The public just stood back and admired it. it, it they just stared at its size and detail. So it wasn't called Bethlehem Royal Hospital for nothing? After 13 years. Look what we did, guys. Oh, well, that yeah. added on to it, bro. After 13 years, after its second relocation, Bethlehem opened its doors to the public and it became a tourist attraction, which Achi will talk about in a minute. But just because something is big and looks nice on the outside doesn't necessarily mean everything is all good and dandy. It became apparent quick that the treatment of the patients was no better than the previous building. Patients were treated like prisoners and were subjected to a wide range of cruel and neglectful conditions. Like, for example, the majority of the patients were just simply locked away and left to their own devices. They And they were given the bare minimum and food and water. Uh, and Achi, tell us a little more about this bloodletting. The what? The bloodletting. Nani? Archaically known as... Venesection. That was the term back in the day that they used for what is known as bloodletting. So there's a blood therapy, therapeutic kind of method that they used to th- that they would do. Basically, take out blood from the patient and make them feel better, or so they thought. At the time, during this wonderful palace that you speak of, it was beautiful on the outside. But when you said the shit, I'm like, it was shitty in the outside. There was this regime of a, a sort of family of physicians that came in and took over. And it was known as the Monroe family. And so the Monroe family started with the very famously known James Monroe, which became the physician of Bethlehem Royal Hospital on October 1728. Then this is when I shit really hit the fan. Monroe was more of a scientist than he was a doctor, and he had an interest and a desire in experimentation. At the time... There's very little known of mental disorders and mental health. And so Monroe treated each patient the same regardless of their conditions. He used the exact same procedure, whether you're schizophrenic, whether you're uh, you know, filled with depression, whatever it may be, I'm going to use it's bloodletting a, with this person. It's a one-size-fits-all thing. Exactly. Because no, no one knew anything about this. Oh, you know just, what's fucked up? I would have fell for it. I would like, this person's sick? Yeah, you can't just bleed them out. Let all the bad shit out, and he's just going to make new blood, and he's going to make himself feel better. I would have fallen for it. It's a way of rejuvenation. Most of his common you know, prescriptions, quote-unquote, as cures were vomiting, laxative, and, of course, venesection, or bloodletting. James Monroe was fascinated of the effects of bleeding his patients out through techniques such as leeching, cupping, and administration of blisters. The James Monroe continued his position as a primary uh, physician uh, up until the death, his death in 1752. And this is where his son, John Monroe, took over his position and continued his father's legacy. The Monroes were very reluctant to publish any of their findings, and so there was very little evidence that was made of their experimentation 
except through first-hand contacts made by reporters or other doctors. That was the only proof they had oh, of Monroe shit. doing all this shit to his patients. And get this, though. He was very selective of who he would do bloodletting to because if he saw a weak patient to the point that they would pass out, he wouldn't see he, he wouldn't see him fit good for this ex- experimentation. So he would find someone who's kind of healthier to do this experimentation on. So he would just bleed them out. Exactly. Like, let's see what happens. Let's see if you know you feel better after this. So when Betham decided to open his door to the public, many of the patients were starving and were usually left to fend for themselves. So much so that they were grateful for any human interaction that they were allowed to have. Dude, they were grateful that strangers were talking to them. That fucking, that, that sucks. That sucks, dude. That sucks. And if that wasn't sad enough for you, visitors often offered the patients pennies to sing and dance for them. Fuck these people. Opening up the bathroom to the general public, it also served as a warning to society. This is what will happen to you if you indulge in lust, greed, or passion. Visitors walk through something called the Penny Gates, Achi? Penny Gates. Come one, come all, to the show of freaks, the unexplainable, the lost, and forgotten, the insane, and schizophrenics. Although the hospital didn't really advertise it this way, it might as well have been considered an attraction like Universal Studios Horror Nights, Not Scary Farm, or Six Flags Fright Fest. Although Bethlehem started as a pretty well-funded, you know, by the church, it eventually was adopted by the government with a belief that the patients were going to be provided with better treatment, as you have heard so far, didn't really happen. To the government's surprise, better treatments meant more misery. And that was money that, for one reason or another, they did not have or did not want to use. The hospital went from it. You know, went into a, the tourism industry and opened its doors to its public, just like Moses mentioned. This was known as the Penny Gates, where for the price of one set or two, visitors were mostly free to roam wherever they want and do whatever they want. This business was booming, and after Bethlehem decided to open its doors, so much to the point that it became its own budget. This was added to the budget because it was such a booming tourism attraction that they were getting such an influx of money that, hey, you know, they were what, what, how much money we have from the tourism? Oh, shit, we got you know, to add this to the budget to pay for whatever we need to pay for or, <clears throat> you know, keep it in their pockets. <laughs> so from all the mental institutions that we already researched on the show, this was the only place that it ever really exploited its patience is its nature, at least from what I've known. Patients were starved not only by food and drinks, but also social interaction of the outside world. And so the patients, again, like we mentioned, would do anything and everything in order to tend to the visitors. At first, the upper echelon of society made up for most of its attendees, but it wasn't long for the lower class to be attracted by the theme park. After all, how can you not be attracted by this place with a warning sign in the front of the entrance stating, verbatim, this is what happens to you if you indulge in lust, greed, or passion. The longer that this kind of petting zoo went on for, the worse the conditions got for both the attendees and the quote-unquote performers. 
It wasn't uncommon for visitors to come in drunk and abuse the shit out of patients, constantly harassing them, taking advantage of their inferiority and defensiveness. Riots and ultimately chaos run amok. And it wasn't until uh, an interview done by Ned Ward of the the London Spy, a newspaper that was happening around that time, wrote a story about the hospital where he stated, a dry wart for loiters, a promenade for rogues. He had the opportunity to also interview a patient in the hospital who was uh, only able to give the story because of their ability to free speech. Readers, especially those who had not stepped foot into the hospital, were horrified by this patient's first-hand account. And 90 years later, the hospital was closed to the public. It was an account that, on average, they had about 96,000 visitors in one year at one point from how much of an influx you know, this was because it wasn't a common thing for people to go to these mental hospitals and check it firsthand for themselves. But that shit was crazy. You're telling me I could see some crazies? So For a penny, and if you wanted to do something else, you might want to take another penny as well. Yeah. Take my money. While many patients did not object to the spectators, there were also patients who were forced on display against their own consent. For these patients, the sense of shame and embarrassment flooded their stay at Bethlehem, making their mental conditions even worse, extending their stay at the mental asylum, and thus, in the end, making more money for the people hired to protect and care for them who were now exploiting them. Dude, that is fucked up. It's all types of fucked up. But like Archie mentioned, after 90 years of being on display, Bethlehem finally closed its doors on the public and became one of the most isolated and secretive asylums in Europe. In 1795, a John Haslam took over the management of Bethlehem and brought in a way of dealing with the mentally ill. So this piece of shit Haslam said that there was a cure to madness. That we didn't have to lock them up and pretend that they weren't there. He stated that the cure for madness hadn't been found yet. But but <laughs> but he would find this cure by imposing his will upon the patients. So what did Haslam do? He often beat the patients into submission until they behaved in the manner that he deemed appropriate. He believed that the patients, the mentally ill, all mentally ill, were violent, and they needed to know who was the big dick in order for them to become obedient. doesn't matter if they're schizophrenic, if they have anxiety, or they have depression. They'll only act right if they fear you. So he's a fucking tyrant. Damn. Men, mm. Many... <laughs> Many techniques were used in Bethlehem to to instill fear into the patients, including hydrotherapy and rotation therapy. By far, one of the most controversial treatments that has happened over the years at Bethlehem Royal Hospital. I want you to picture this. Have you guys ever heard or ever been on the teacup ride in Disneyland? For listeners who don't know or have ever been to Disneyland, there's this fucked up as ride called the Mad Tea Party, where 
you and three to four riders sit in this giant teacup and there's several of these teacups affixed to a giant platform that spins all these teacups into succession. Not only that, but you and slash or other riders in the teacup are also able to spin the teacup in either which direction. Oh, you control it for real? Yeah, you control it. You can spin the shit out of it. So not only is everything spinning, but you within that cup is spinning itself because there's a giant freaking wheel that you can turn. So it, (laughs) yeah. So, you know. So if you forgot how your giant turkey leg, your Slurpee, and clam chowder bowl that you just finished eating look like, you best believe that this ride will happily remind you of your lunch menu after getting off of this. Now that I painted a pretty picture for you all to enjoy, things are about to get so much worse. The teacup ride lasts about a minute, maybe a minute and a half. Rotational therapy can last from a couple of minutes to a couple of hours, except Instead of sitting in a cup, you're sitting in a chair or a swing that is suspended from the ceiling. The patient was then seated on this contraption and it would be spun at a speed or a time desired by the doctor. This ride was fucked up. And the inventor of this fucked up as in, you know, ride, quote unquote, was none other than Erasmus Darwin, which is the grandfather of the late Charles Darwin. Doctors at the time believed that by inducing vertigo to their patients to the point that they were extremely nauseous, turn pale, and urinate slash shit on themselves, will ultimately just vomit up their guts out, was beneficial and therapeutic as best. As fucked up as these treatments were on patients, believe it or not, there was some beneficiary on the study of vertigo and coming up for medications on its prevention. And also, we also have rides like that still. Like the, the teacup party. The med teacup party. But yeah, they thought that by vomiting your guts out, you'll feel better. You'll be a lot less lunatic. Do you think the, do you think the rotational therapy was different than the bloodletting in terms, was it a one-size-fits-all? Or is it like, all right, this guy suffering from anxiety. Only spin him this fast. Oh, this guy's really crazy. Spin him this fast. I think that's how it worked. I couldn't find if it was Monroe or if it was uh, Crother who were the ones in charge of this type of therapy. Um, Ultimately, it was those people who decided yeah. how fast and how long. Mm-hmm. Or was in charge of the button or the lever pressing or the pulling or whatever. Oh, so it was a pulling? I thought it was just someone just uh, like a little kid. You know when you're at the park with a kid? A little yeah. kid? No, no, no. I was going to say, you know when you're at the park with a little kid and you have to push him in the swing? Yeah. I thought it was one of those things where you just standing next to the dude just nope. keep spinning, just grabbing the chair leg and just spinning it? Nope. Yeah. It was, it was, it was this thing that was suspended and then from there it was like these pulley things or whatever. Oh, so it was like in a pulley? Yeah. All right. Yeah. But anyways, it was gross, disgusting, nauseous, and bleh. For the rare occasions hydrotherapy or any of these treatments didn't work patients were subjected to either one of the two therapies haslam then hired a brian crowther as chief surgeon who was initially hired to tend to injuries and ailments like fucking clockwork the people meant to help and assist the patients end up doing all the harm and no fucking good like this brian crowther so brian uh, where did i start 
It's poor patience, man. They just go through hell. This is hell. As royal as it may look on the outside. So, this Brian Crother, by the late 1790s, he was brought in to staff of experimentalists in Bethlehem Hospital. He was named the chief surgeon, which was perfect for what he desired to do. Although his primary duty was to attend to the patients and improve their well-being, he had a different plan. He had a strong desire of, of understanding the patient's brains. He was interesting, interested in dissecting the brains of deceased patients and finding what physiological mechanisms were in charge of making a patient mentally ill. This guy was nuts, and he believed that find that you know there's a way to find a type of on slash off switch that was in charge of controlling the person's mental stability. Since the hospital had a nice steady influx of deceased patients, unfortunately, Crother had no problem finding corpses to fuel his curiosity and deranged fantasy. Obviously, his, his practices were highly illegal, but like many of his colleagues at the hospital, he was able to get away with much of the experimentation over 20 years before he was let go. 20 fucking, 20 fucking years. years. He was just taking people and just domering it up, just cutting them open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, rumor has it that Crother was actually heavy under the influence of alcohol when he was doing these experimentations. But, you know, due to the lack of scientific evidence or reports made by Dr. Crother, wants to believe that, you know, he was doing these experiments for his own selfish needs. And Crother, again, was able to do this for 20 freaking years. Imagine that. Someone who's drunk as fuck surgeon just picking your brain. Not knowing what the fuck he's doing, but just picking your brain, hoping for the best. A year after Haslam was hired, a young businessman and his father were admitted to the asylum. James Tilly Matthews was sent to Bethlehem after interrupting a debate in the House of Commons. Britain had been at war with France for three years, and Matthews insisted they had been sent to France as a double agent for the British government. Now that he had returned, the British government were denying all knowledge of his missions and basically just said, and basically just washed their hands of him. He was sent to Bethlehem for 10 days after this outburst, but was never released. Despite numerous efforts by his family and their doctors. But then in 1814, philanthropist Edward Wakefield paid a visit to Bethlehem Asylum, which fucking thankfully uncovered the secrets kept by Haslam and his piece of shit staff. As he walked through the male wards, he was shocked by the conditions they were in. For example, he saw men chained to walls, completely naked, and severely underfed. But one of the worst cases he saw was for a patient named James Norris. Now, before I get into James Norris and his fucked up story, I'm going to tell you another two notable patients around this time. The first one is Margaret Nicholson. Now, Margaret was deemed as bedlam royalty. Now, why, you ask? Well, on August 2, August 2nd of 1786, she tried stabbing King George III after she failed 
a search of her lodgings, her uh, her belongings, they found a bizarre letters that state she is a rightful heir to the throne. To make this story more sad, the newspapers assumed she went insane after her lover's desertion. Fuck. So that's why they called her the Bedlam Royalty, because she thought she had the right heir to be on the throne, which is a lot. Fuck. Or is it? Hmm. Dun, 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 dun. Now next, we have Bannister Trulock. A Lannister? The Bannister. Oh. Bannister True Lock. The fucking Lannister needs to be locked up, the fucking ancestral bastards. You good, bro? I'm good. I'm still mad. I have to wait a fucking year for Game of Thrones to go we, back. Wait. A year? We have to wait a year. year. Anyways, go on. All right. So back at it. Bannister True Lock. The man who prophesied the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and insisted the belief that the Messiah will be born from his mouth. But no, that's not the reason why he was sent to Bethlehem. That's, that's not no, the reason? No, this is why. He was sent to Bethlehem after conspiring to murder King George III. Now, it wasn't for the fact that he prophesied the second coming of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and insisted the belief that the Messiah would be born from his mouth. No! It was because he wanted to kill a king. Bro, you gotta be some type of crazy to want to do that. <laughs> murder. Ooh. Oh, and he was also a shoemaker. Huh. You didn't know that, huh? I didn't. He makes kicks? Yep. So for all you shoe fanatics, the true log Jordan edition will never. He was sell. a true hot beast. He was Coco. Mm-hmm. And this happened. Seen, you I haven't, haven't seen Coco? Like, Bruh. I haven't seen Coco either. Bruh. 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 Bro down or what? Bruh. No, continue on. I'm okay. already. And this happened in the year 1800. Now, moving on to. James Norris. Okay, this is what you call a sad <laughs> tale. Okay, so James Norris is the man who captured the eyes of many for, like I said, of his sad tale in Bedlam. In 1814, Norris was discovered in Bethlehem Royal Hospital, restrained by chains to the walls and in poor health. Norris had been confined in isolation for more than 10 years. He was incarcerated for a quote-unquote unnamed mental disease yet when visited by six members of the parliament they stated norris was rational quiet and capable of coherent and topical conversation unfortunately after his release in 1814 he died due to the conditions he had endured for 10 plus years after a couple of weeks of being released now the man responsible for the exposing the plight of Norris and his release are Edward Wakefield, William Hone, and James Bevins. Now, that's just the surface of James Norris, Archie. This was the account by Wakefield himself. And then what I'm just going to read is from one of our sources. It's called Bedlam, London's Hospital for the Mad by author Paul Chambers. So shout out to him because... If you want to know a front-to-back, you know, novel as far as the history of Bedlam and all the book. tortures, this is a really good book. James Norris is actually the cover of the fucking so book. So, of course, obviously, you're going to talk and about then, James Norris. And then that's the palace. And that's the palace. So, this is what Wakefield himself said in his account when he faced James Norris. He was fastened by a long chain, 
which passing through a partition enabled the keeper by going into the next cell to draw him close to the wall at pleasure. That to prevent this, Norris muffled the chain with straw so as to hinder its passing through the walls that he afterwards was confined in the matter that we saw him. Namely, a stout iron ring was riveted around his neck from which a short chain passed to the ring made to slide upwards and downwards on an upright massive iron bar more than six feet high inserted into the wall. Round his body, a strong iron bar about two inches was riveted. On each side of the bar was a circular projection which being fashioned to and enclosing each of his arms pinioned them close to his sides. This waist bar was secured by two similar bars which passing over his shoulders were riveted to the waist bar both before and behind. The iron ring round his neck was connected to the bars of his shoulders by a double link. From each of these bars another short chain passed to the ring on upright iron bar. We were informed he was enabled he was enabled to raise himself so that to stand against the wall on the pillow of his bed and through in the thorough bed which he lay, but it is impossible for him to advance from the wall in which the iron bar is soldered on account of the shortness of his chains. So it is this shit is so complex, bro, but basically he cannot move. The only thing he could do is stand up, sit down, that's it. And he was in this condition, in this state, when when Wakefield actually asked like one of the keepers, like, hey, what's up? How long has he been like this? The guy answered, about nine to twelve years. Uh, yeah. In that condition. The fa- but the fact that they said the fact that he's like, what the fuck? How long has he been like this? Yeah, the fucking like, yeah, nine or twelve years. Yeah, just, tops, around uh, around like fuck, dude. Plus, plus or minus. God damn. Yeah, that's that's the story of James oh, Norris. And to top it all oh, off, there's more. <laughs> after he was in, you know, when he first started, after that year, he was considered an incurable lunatic. Mm-hmm. They can't do, yeah, he, they can't. He, they can't do anything to cure him. Why? Because there's been accounts of him. Let's see, who was it by? It was by. Didn't say, but there's an account that someone made. Uh, one of the keepers saying that he was getting slashed at by Norris. Like he he would either have a blade with him or he would make an impromptu weapon to like stab not only the keepers but also other patients that he would I don't fucking with. blame him. What the fuck? And that's why he was considered an incurable lunatic. He was also a American, correct? Yeah. He was American a, and a yeah. former Marine. He's a former Marine as well. That's yeah, what well, that's probably why, he, dude. Like, not talking shit. But that's probably why he lasted so long, because he's a marine. That's probably why he was able to. He was. It was not talking shit. It's it was a compliment. No, it was yeah, yeah. Mind over matter for that entire time, especially yeah, for the nine and twelve years that he was restrained. Yeah, dude. So, appalled, rightfully fucking so. Wakefield brought in an artist to draw the conditions that Norris was kept in, and this was published in the newspaper. The fucking following day, which is the the front cover, which of is the, the front Bedlam. cover of Bedlam. So if you're trying to find this book, find you know James Norris in the front cover, or you could just follow us on Instagram if you just want to. See and we'll just game. post it up, you know. Yeah. 
so the sensational findings outraged the public, forcing an official investigation into the treatments upheld at Bethlehem. A huge inquiry was held in the following months, and at that point, it was the, large, the largest inquiry into madhouses ever to be created. So, ha piece of shit Haslam was called in and questioned on his treatment of his patients, specifically James Norris. And like the piece of worthless shit that Haslam was, he didn't take any blame for it. He blamed it on the chief surgeon, Brian Crowther, the very man he directly hired. He hired him himself. He called his surgeon an alcoholic who was performing autopsies at will, and he labeled him insane. Both of these assholes were fired. <laughs> and a drastic change in the treatment of the mentally ill began. So as the building had been slowly subsiding into the ground over the past decade, a new build was proposed. The governors of Bethlehem held a public competition to find the best design to be used. Many people submitted plans for the new asylum, including long-term patient James Tilly Matthews. Although his design did not win, many of his ideas they were implemented into the new building, including long windows and a circular lawn at the front entrance. He was awarded 50, Euro, 50 euros for his efforts, but did not live long enough to see the new building completed. He died from tuberculosis just months before the move to Lambeth. Was he released at all? Nope. Damn. It's like, we'll give you money, but you're still with us, huh? This is Bethlehem's third location, which was at the St. George's Fields, and it ran from 1815 to 1930, so 115 years. So the patients at Moorfields, their second location, were transferred to St. George's Fields by a concession of hackney coaches. You know those old coaches with the with the two horses, and they could carry like up to six people? Do you guys remember... Um, was it Django? There you go. You know how there's two horses and it's a carriage where they're inside? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the patients were transferred in those. Jeez. Fuck. In the summer. Day 10. And I mean, I'm glad it was in the summer, not the fucking cold. Imagine being one of those in the fucking cold. But when they were transferred, their new place of residence was not quite what they expected. A fucking course. Like for one... The windows in the upper stories were fucking glassless. Two, the heating system, it didn't fucking work, which meant that the sleeping cells, they were all exposed to cold air, and the fucking basement was damp as shit. They would eventually get glass, but not to the following year. But they still agreed that having no window glass, it was necessary to prevent the disagreeable effluvious peculiar to all madhouses. Basically, they wanted to keep this place with no windows so the place didn't stink like shit. They didn't say, we need to take care of them better. 
let's be better people. They're just like, no, 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 just don't put glass on the windows. Just so it doesn't stink like shit. That way the stench doesn't go out? So the stench will go out so the stench doesn't stay in. With the windows, the stench will stay in? Well, yeah, because the, the the smell, if they have windows, the smell stays in. So they did, they what? wanted no windows so the smell would go out so they could breathe in there. I'm confused. <laughs> How are you confused? Okay, so the place had no windows. No windows. No, no, open. no, no glass. There were oh. glassless windows. Oh. So, oh, so sorry. were they open? Did yeah. They, they had like just, metal bars or something like that? No, it was just a hole. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, there were glassless. That was like completely different. Yeah, because you said windowless. I was like, okay, oh, my so bad. how's the like, stench? It's not going to be like, what? option versus that, that option. option. No, yeah, sorry, my bad. I meant no window how's glass. Fucked hard? Yeah, it was no window you, glass. You fucking me up. Insane fuck. All right, moving on to other notable patients of the Bethlehem Royal Hospital. We have Augustus Pugin. I know what you're thinking. Who the fuck is this guy? Now, unless you're an architecture junkie, then you have no idea who this guy is. And Pugin is most remembered for his work in architecture, specifically the role in Gothic revival style of architecture. His most notable work is from the works of the interior of the Palace of Westminster and London's Clock Tower, later changed to Elizabeth Tower. Fun fact, the house's... Big Ben the Great Bell. Oh, shit. Have you heard of the Big Ben Great Bell? I heard of the Big Ben. Yeah. The bell that's located yeah, yeah, in the yeah, tower. Right? Damn. He was, he was responsible for that design? What? He was re- responsible for creating that design for that? Yeah, correct. Jeez. And more. So that gothic fucking architecture, yeah, yeah. Was, he was like primarily the, the him. Right. I think I heard this in High I Met Your Mother. I feel like Ted Mosby mentioned that at one point. <laughs> I've never seen that show. You guys are fucking disappointment. No Coco now. How I met your mother? I watched a couple of episodes, but I just couldn't get into it. It wasn't for me. Garbage. All right. Yeah. See you no, later. Yeah. No. Say Big Ben. Say it. Big Ben. Big Ben. Say it. Just say it. Big Ben. Pleb. Right. Big Ben. Right? At first, I didn't think of nothing about Big Ben until like an hour later in my fucking research. I hear fucking whispers of just Big Ben. Big Ben. Right? To the point where the whispers changed to the fucking, the shining of the red rum. It was, I heard Big, Big ben. ben. You Big need to go ben. to Bedlam. I was like, I'm going fucking crazy. Right? Until you, I dropped the fucking pin. You're an incurable lunatic. I'm, I'm, sign me up, bro. Put me in, coach. Right? <laughs> so I dropped. The pin, that stupid gel pin, which I can't fucking write. I don't know why. I don't know how you write in gel pin. Yeah. Where's, the, where's the ballpoint pens at? That's I only write in gel pens. I, I just hate that pen in particular. This, this is my favorite things, pen of all time. Those things spill so much ink. They're talking these, I write like, trash. These, they're talking shit about the this precise V fine. Precise garbage. That's extra what it fine is. rolling extra ball garbage gel pen. Paper rolling made, bro. Garbage. Paper made all the way. Fuck paper made. Fuck the, the anything that's not this gel pen. Yeah. Can you backhand him? Aren't you, please? It's too far. Are you closer? Oh, my God. I'll stab him with his well, anywho, <laughs> anywho, back to the story. Okay? So, I literally just typed in, why Big Ben? No, why Big Ben Bell? I'll try to say that quick. Why Big Ben Bell? It's a fucking tongue twister. <laughs> Sorry, say, ridiculous. say No, you say it one more time. Why Big Ben Bell? <laughs> so, I typed that up. And, and, and the origin of 
the, this nickname, it's still unclear because it's a debate, right? There's two reasons why they named it Big Ben. One of them is, is who the because, fuck is Ben? No, 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 why was he yeah. so big? <laughs> no, no. And how big was he? <laughs> so the first one is, um, it was named after <clears throat> Benjamin Hall, the man who oversaw the installation of the Great Bell. Okay. Boring. And this is, and the next one is the one that I'm leaning on more. It was uh, named after the English heavyweight boxer named Benjamin Cunt. Not Cunt. Cunt. As in taunt, but with the C instead of a T. Cunt. Cunt. So there's a whole debate on that. Fucking Cunt. What they named it. I preferably prefer Benjamin Cunt rather than Benjamin Hall. That's it for Big Ben, but moving on to the patient, Pugin spent five and a half weeks at the residence of Bethlehem in the summer of 1852. Five weeks? Yeah, five and a half that weeks. That wasn't bad. Yeah, great. Compared to being chained up for <laughs> nine to 12 years. Now, rereading it, it sounds like an asshole. I make it sound like you residents of Bethlehem is like a fucking five-star hotel, right? You, you can also spend five and a half weeks at the residence of Bethlehem right, for a cheap price of your sanity. So I'll take, I'll take so it. they got AC. Oh yeah, they do. They have yeah, no. They have, they have no, no glass. They have no glass. I'm in no there. glass. Now, according to the 1992 edition of the International Classification of Diseases, Pugin, Pugin suffered what they described as "quote unquote" mania without psychotic symptoms and a state of collapse due to overwork. Yes, let's backtrack to that. All right, mania. Without psychotic symptoms. Fuck me, right? What does that mean? Does it mean you're crazy, but you don't have crazy symptoms. But we know you're crazy. That's what it means. What the fuck? Fuck. I'm fucked. Right. Now, now, I kind of get the over collapse due to overwork architecture at the time. He was doing so much designs. But so, so got to, stressed. Be, to be fucking... Confined into a fucking mental asylum is pretty fucking extreme. But luckily, well, before I get there, there is no mental improvement recorded to the medical um, data of Pugin. Pugin was discharged at the request of close ones and died seven weeks after his release. Holy shit. Damn. For only... How, how long did... how long, Again, how long did freaking... Pugin? No, no, not Pugin. Norris? How long did Norris last after he got released? Ten plus... Oh, he lasted... Uh, a few weeks. It, it just said a few weeks. Exactly. And he was able to be confined for nine to 12 years, but this fucker can't last five weeks? And In and, and Pugin's defense, he was an, an American Marine. That's true. That's true. America. This guy's a piece of shit. All right, keep on moving. Now we have a patient named Richard Dad. Now Dad? Matt, Dad? D-A-D-D. -D. Dad. No, yeah, it's dad today. Dad today. <laughs> I'm go. sorry. Da -da -da. Richard dad -da -da. No, 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 it's two da -da. D's, not three. Oh, not three. Shit, my bad. Dad today. Dad Bloody fuck. All right, moving on. The man, uh, Richard Dad was the man who da -da -da. murdered. <sighs> Richard Dad, the da -da -da. man. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Richard Dad, the man who murdered his own dad. Huh. <laughs> That's that's where you got the that's where you got the other D. I'm liking, <laughs> I'm liking the similarities of a lot of these people. You got the crook, and we got the dad that killed the dad. They killed the dad. Sorry, dad that killed, killed dad. the dad. Was that he a, was he a dad when he killed his dad? 
I don't know. Oh, deception. Deception. <laughs> on. What uh, about that? Well, due to this murder, Richard was sent to the residence of Bethlehem Royal Hospital. Wait, instead of going but, to jail? But no. Well, the, well let me explain right. why. Okay, let me explain why. Okay. He's a loony. Now, 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 now. Unlike Hitler, he was what? a talented <laughs> painter. That's why I'm getting it, okay? Because Hitler was a failed painter. I don't know. This sounded good in my head. Well, I wrote that down. I mean, I can say that about everything. Like, oh, like this burger, what? unlike Hitler, was good. That's the kind oh, of context what? you're saying it in. There's nothing about it. Hey, 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 Hitler. hey, hey. Let, proceed. Right, I like okay, on. I fucked it up. My bad. No, no, no. My bad. I compared him to Hitler. Fuck. What? Bro, why did you compare him to Hitler? Just because he was a failed artist? Yeah. And he was a talented. He's crazy, but he was talented. There's actually a picture of him. He had talent, and he actually looked crazy. Hitler was just crazy. It was funny. It was Fuck I, you. I got Thank you, you Archie. I got you. Thanks, bro. You son of a bitch. <laughs> so we'll start using that. Shut up. Unlike Hitler. But there was a reference to it. He was a filth painter. Anywho, he was admitted to the Royal Academy of Arts at the age of 20 and was awarded the Medal for Life Drawing in 1840. Unlike Hitler. Unlike Hitler. <laughs> the failed painter. Oh, that's what he's gonna. That's what. That's what he's gonna go down as. Yep. The failed painter. <laughs> the failed painter. Amongst his and many And this is the part where it gets sour. Okay. So on July 1842, Richard went on the expedition to Greece, Turkey, southern Syria, and finally Egypt. How can you go on an expedition to those cities? It's like I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on an adventure to Chicago. You don't go on an adventure. You go. Vi- or, you know what? Go on. I'm just talking on my ass. Times are changing. Go on. Five, mo- five months into the expedition, Richard had personality changes, became delusional, violent, and believing himself to be under the influence of the Egyptian god Osiris. Well, on August 1843, he was convinced his dad was devil in disguise and murked his ass, stabbed him. Unlike Hitler. Unlike Hitler. Did Hitler kill his dad? See, there's no reference on that. That's right. Unlike Hitler. Shut up! <laughs> he spent 20 years in Bethlehem Holy and died shit. on January 7th of 1886 from lung disease. Now, he didn't die in Bethlehem. Okay. He was transferred to uh, uh, Sobor or something. Uh, I, I don't know. I forgot the name of the... Oh, the... All right. He was, next... he was transferred to a, a hospital instead of this... Okay. Instead of saying uh, asylum. Uh-huh. And that... Is the story of Richard Dadada. The story of Richard Dadada. Dadada. The guy who was unlike Hitler. That's unlikely, like Hitler. In 1852, a new doctor would come to work at Bethlehem. William Mad Doctor Hood. He was hired as the first ever resident physician at Bethlehem. And with him, he brought a new crazy as fuck regime. This guy was basically like, yeah, how about we don't treat our patients like animals and instead do what we're supposed to do? You know, like, take care of these fucking people. And he did just that. He did not punish his patients for their illnesses, but rather gave them peace and tranquility and games, including bowls of Skittles. The women's ward was filled with soothing paintings magazines and craft activities and the notion of pastoral care became a reality rehab was fundamental 
in Hood's treatment of his patients and among other methods, he held monthly balls and dances. Puro pinche party. Puros corridos. <laughs> <laughs> you thought, huh? You thought, motherfucker. It I was like, during... Like Hitler. It, Unlike Hitler, bro. <laughs> it was during these bedlam balls that visitors were allowed to mingle freely with patients, creating a situation where doctors, nurses, patients, and visitors, they all looked alike, making it impossible to tell who was mad and who was sane. Throughout the years, Bethlehem has often operated in secrecy, locking patients away for decades at a time without any form of care or compassion. Patients starved within the walls of Bethlehem at the hands of their keepers and physicians. Hood was a godsend, a guardian angel to this institution when it needed it the most. Unlike Hitler. Unlike Hitler. Unlike I mean, Hitler. ultimately, it just comes down to him just changing the way things were run at Bethlehem. He really changed the atmosphere from being this archaic, like, loony bin to, you know what? We are a mental hospital. We're here to help out. And after that, things just kind of snowballed. And things just got better. Like how Moses is going to mention. Yeah. And then in 1863, 11 years after Hood was hired, the Broadmoor Hospital for the Criminally Insane, which is probably where the dad went to, opened and the violent or aggressive patients of Bethlehem were removed and sent to Broadmoor instead. This diverted the attention away from Bethlehem and produced a quieter, safer environment for the patients who still resided there then in 1926 the governors decided to build a new hospital in a rural location where it stands still to this day the removal to monk's orchard at addington in surrey was sanctioned by acts of parliament in 1926 bethlehem's third and final location the monk's orchard road it was built in a lush country setting. The wards were, desi- were designed to create a comfortable and homely environment with fine furniture and thick warm carpets. Gone were the days of chaining patients to walls or forcing them to sleep on straw in dungeon-like cells. And in were the days where Bethlehem joined the rest of the world in terms of mental health care. And in 1948, after World War II, the NHS was developed to provide free health care to all, regardless of wealth or social status. And that is the history, the, so, the short history of the Bethlehem Royal Hospital. And then another thing that was implemented after Hood was before, if you were a patient and you went and you got out of Bethlehem, that's it. Like, Bethlehem's like, they're over. Like, it's not our case. It, it, we don't give a fuck about you anymore. After Hood, they, they would still check up on patients. They'll be like, come every so often. Let us keep. They kept up with their patients after Hood. It wasn't just like, all right, next, next, next. So Hood was actually, like I mentioned, he was a godsend. And he actually, like, cared. he cared for his patients. Which is why he was called the mad doctor. He did his job. 
He did his job. You care for your patients? You must be mad. You crazy motherfucker. And speaking of crazy shit, not motherfuckers. That's Samuel Jackson's thing. What? He says that. Doesn't he say motherfucker in like every movie? Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. 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 I heard Michael Jackson. I was like, when the fuck did he ever say motherfucker? Oh, motherfucker. But in recent years, did you guys hear about this? That they found a lot of freaking bones and remains over in London when they were excavating, what is it, a new met like train? Yeah, I think they're building a new metro station. Yeah. And because they found bones, they have, I don't know how long the time, I think it's like 20 years or something, where they could continue excavating until they are done. Yeah, like... Until they, they could start actually building that thing. Yeah, so they're, so they're excavating to build this railroad system. And as they were excavating, they're like, oh, shit, here's some bones. And they kept digging and digging and digging and digging. And it's estimated that they have over 4,000 corpses. And they cannot start building until every single bone is gone. And every time they dig a little deeper... More bones, more Fuck. bones. <laughs> the freaking train station is like, almost done? Nah, nope. bro. And the thing is, all these bodies were built on, on not, not these bodies, but this location where they're digging was the site of the first bedlam. Yeah. Which is where it lasted the longest. It lasted almost 400 years. They're not saying all 4,000 are of bedlam. Yeah. But they're saying most likely the most the majority of them might be of Bedlam. But there's all the people saying, and Achi mentioned earlier before we started, most of these could be just people that died of the Black Plague. Because those are on the same time period when the first Bedlam was opened. I remember the yeah it happened like a year, uh, I think we said a hundred years after it opened. Yeah. That's when the Black Plague hit, uh-huh. and thirteen million people fucking died. So. Who maybe all those four thousand people, or maybe they are just all Black Plague victims, yeah. and it's London too, so it's plausible. Mm-hmm. And remember, they found they're estimated to find four thousand bodies in this little section. Imagine they keep digging further. Hey, can we dig under your house? We think there's bones there. Oh no, we're gonna do it anyways. <laughs> it's nuts. That's for over four thousand bodies. And that's just estimating them. That's not even them counting 4,000 bodies. That's just them estimating, okay, this is how deep we've dug. This is how wide it is. How many bodies could approximately fit in this location? All right, maybe 4,000. That's how they That's how they do the math when it comes to huge body counts. Yeah. When situations like that. Like in World War II, they wouldn't count ditches. Be like, All right, this is how wide the ditch is. This is how long. How many bodies could, could, could you fit? Approximately this much. Okay, cool. That's the number we're going to go for. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it helps them find out when the time period of when these bodies were dug. Because they found artifacts of just different things. Like, they found vases. They found, like, plates and stuff with designs and stuff. And they're like, oh, it's all right around this kind of era because we already found artifacts like this before. It helps them pinpoint the time and the era when, you know, those bodies were from. It's crazy. But <laughs> It's crazy? It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and then... It's crazy, bro. Out of all the things that Bedlam did give, give you know, all the shit that Bedlam did do for all the sh- bad shit they did, they gave us the word Bedlam, which means chaos. And that word Bedlam specifically came from Bethlehem, which is, I think, Josh, you mentioned it. That's how they pronounced the hospital. Yeah. 
they would pronounce it Bedlam. Mm-hmm. So instead of Bethlehem, it was Bedlam. Bedlam. And then that's why that word came about. This hospital was so shitty. It gave us the word that means chaos. And that's our episode for the Bedlam Royal Hospital. This was a fun-ass episode to do. It was fucked up, but it was fun. Sorry we took uh, a little over how many weeks to get this episode out? <laughs> well, you guys took a break, so yeah, yeah, we're a little late, but... I mean, better late than never. we stress as fuck, but sure, call it a break. Yeah, my brother barely has enough time to breathe because of school and finals. Fuck college. But you're on spring break too, right? Yeah. So am I. Feels good not having to wake up at four in the morning. Oh, that's horrible. It's ho- it is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the, you know, we, m- most of the information we got was from a few different sources. We have one of the books. It's called This Way, Madness Lies, yeah. The Asylum and Beyond by Mike J. Yeah. It's a Thames and Hudson book. We're going to post that up on our and I like that one a lot, not because of the content that it has. It has some really good stuff, but <coughs> be- the Bedlam one by Paul Chambers has a lot more of that. But that one has a lot of illustrations. So if you're looking for some of these portraits, some of the people, like the uh, painter, da-da-da, he actually comes out in the book, and it's like he looks, he looks like it's when he's sitting down and he's looking yeah, 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 yeah. He even looks crazy in that picture. You know who it reminds you of? Oh. What's his name? Doc from Back to the Future? She kind of does, yeah. Yeah, yeah this is a good book. And then this book, uh, This Way Madness Lies, it's not just Bedlam, right? It's a, it's a it's, lot it's of a different hospitals. Hosp- mental hospitals. Yeah. And then, shout out to gutsandgore.co.uk. That's a website I used. The other one's for the time the, periods? Yep. That, that was yeah. a good one. So, shout out to them. I love that website, Guts and Gore. Check them out. I'm going to post all this information. I'm going to post the pictures up on our show um on our itunes show links show notes and again please if you guys would like to see these pictures or like to see us or any of this you guys can follow us um you don't want to see us on, hey, you want you instagram, guys like to see us on instagram at we even have pictures of ourselves on instagram yeah we, yeah, we do we, we have videos video. do we no there's a picture of us and there's videos the and there's videos yeah disregard what i said and th- yeah so you guys can follow us on instagram at weird history eerie tales pod and um i'd like to take this as a chance to thank you guys for listening and downloading and where are we at right now we're we're we're, we're doing num- we're doing good numbers like for us we're already at the thirteen thousand. it was a month ago where we reached ten thousand. it's ridiculous and it's all thanks to you guys the show's growing and as the show grows we're going to be adding things to our instagram um i have something that i'm working on to make our to make it a little more fun, and I mean in terms of like Instagram, I'll be uploading little videos here and there. We're just in the test of trying to grow the show. Yeah, <clears throat> but on top of that and growing the show, it really helps, guys, when we get a lot of feedback from you. The more you guys give us, the better we improve as a show because we want to hear your voices as well. And unfortunately, you know, for Android users, the best way to do so is through the iTunes podcast right yeah to the itunes to the itunes uh yeah just yeah. through itunes go on yeah. itunes and rate and review us or if you guys add us on instagram at weird history eerie tales pod just shout us out there Try, hey. you know do something you know if you guys if there's something you guys want us to talk about just go uh, go on our instagram Seriously. just comment we'll, we'll we'll start posting up things like here and there where you guys could just go ahead and comment or if you guys are just curious to see what the fuck we look like or the shit we post just go ahead and 
on Instagram at Weird History yeah. Eerie Tales Pod. And we also give like little. If we don't say in, in the end of our shows, we also give like little previews of what the next episode is going to be about. To, you know, you know, build the hype and get you guys ready for that next one. Yeah. So if, yeah. So if you guys are if you guys are a fan, and I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart if you guys are. If you guys are curious to see what we're going to talk about next, follow us on Instagram. So we yeah. post most of these topics. Again, weird history. Eerie Tales Pod. And if there isn't anything else you'd like to add, I want to piss. I want to say thank you guys. And again, as always, we are the Weird History Eerie Tales Podcast. End it. <laughs>